Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Thanks for being with us. I'm Michael Bull. We have an incredible show for you today. This segment is brought to you by ArborCrowd.com. If you're a sponsor of real estate developments, investing, or you'd like to invest small amounts of money in large commercial real estate deals, check out ArborCrowd.com. Well, today we're going to talk about the single tenant net lease investment market the freestanding buildings that we all love to invest in and, and love to broker as brokers. And uh, we're going to get a view from a developer, from a broker, and from an operator of uh, Zaxby's stores. So we're going to have some different views. And I think there's a lot going on with single-tenant net lease properties. They've always been a property type that investors like because they're very stable, long-term leases, credit tenants, not a lot of moving parts. And when you look back at the downturn, they kind of held their own on value more than most of other property types. Uh, but there's also a lot of going on in the economy. There's a lot of restaurants that have been opening up in all the retail. We have some tax law changes. So what is in the future of the single tenant net lease world? We'll find out today. Please welcome my guest. I have Nancy Miller here. She's president of the National Net Lease Investment Group with Bull Realty in Studio One. Nancy, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Michael. We also have Fred Weir here with us. He's president of Meadowbrook Restaurant Group, and he's here in Studio One. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So let's talk about single tenant net lease properties and let's look at uh, the, your, your company, Zaxby's. So how many stores do, do you have now, Zaxby's stores? Uh, personally or, or as, a, as a chain? Both. Uh, we've got 12 stores right now ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, the chain is, is pushing right at the 900 mark. I, mm -hmm. I think probably uh, this year we'll, we'll be somewhere between 950 and maybe 975 as, as a chain. Yeah. And Nancy, people that love to invest in these single tenant net lease properties, you know, as we as I talked to in the opening. So, what do you see? One of the things that I think a lot of uh, listeners and viewers might uh, want to know about is the difference between corporate-owned stores and franchisee-owned stores. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the difference in the cap rates, and and really, is there a, really a need for it? Is there more risk with the franchisee stores? Well, that's a great question. Some of the franchisees, Fred, for example, is getting on the larger side, uh, having 9, 10, 15, some have 50. Uh, franchisee, when they get that large, um, the credit and the guarantee behind the lease is stronger. People usually gravitate uh, to the corporate leases, corporate guaranteed leases, just because it might be a New York Stock Exchange guaranteed company and there's a veil of greater comfort um, but the tr your point is um, with a, for example, a Bojangles. I could buy a corporate Bojangles at a five and a half cap rate. I could buy that same Bojangles as a franchisee at maybe a 6.25 wow. to a six and a half cap rate. So wow. there is a difference in yield if the investor is willing to, um, you know, take a slight higher bit of risk. It may not be higher at all, really. In reality, if it's a strong operator who knows what they're doing and has some uh, financial strength behind them. Yeah, and that's interesting. I know some investors even like the well, local tenants or regional tenants that aren't national credit, which may even have a higher cap rate on some you know, industrial users, some office users. Uh, so, uh, but let's get back to, to kind of the, the single tenant net lease world uh, that that people think about mostly. And I think a lot of people think about that, that one and a half million, five million dollars, you know, the, mm -hmm. the dollar stores, the uh, fast food restaurants, the quick service restaurants. What are you seeing for volume and cap rate trends in that area? 
Well, uh, we just did a little look at it, the one and a half to five, and we looked at CoStar, and it's simply a sampling, an example of, and what was interesting is that we noticed that the number of transactions in 2017 actually went down about almost 14% over 2016, and cap rates went slightly down maybe 10 basis points. Down. So uh, the transactions and cap rates are going down, which was, is surprising because of, I think, a bit of supply and demand issue. I see. And are you hearing from investors yet about the, their cost of funds going up, their interest rates going up on their, on their mortgages? Uh, interest rates right now are kind of ho hovering in just a hair above, 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 but overall they are not a barrier to someone looking at 25-year financing. It's still excellent and people are now looking at, uh, they're trying to be a little bit more aggressive in cap rate. They want a little bit higher cap rate and you're seeing a little bit of a, of a lessening of cap rate or a weakening of the uh, investor uh, being able to get, they're going to get a six and a half where they might have gotten a six before. Cap rate. So yeah, mm -hmm. you're seeing them negotiate a little harder to get a little higher cap rate. But it doesn't always work because everybody is vying for the same property and a cash buyer is going to uh, be the one to be the victor every day uh, if they're fighting with an uh, investor who is looking for loan and leverage. Right. So. And what do you see, Fred, in that area? I mean, you're, you're a developer yourself. You own these stores. Do you, do you think about the interest rates changing and, you know, that we're hearing that uh, the Fed may raise their rates every time they meet? Uh, by, by a quarter point. Uh, does that, do you think about that as you move forward? Uh, we, we do. Uh, and and w with us, uh, even negotiating with banks, we have very much changed kind of our negotiating strategy with them when, when we're going into it, trying to uh, vie for kind of longer term fixed money. Uh, certainly not anything that's variable or floating or anything where, you know, f uh, even four years ago, that wouldn't have been a consideration at all because rates just seemed to, you know, they were going to be low for the next 50 years, it seemed. Yeah. Uh, but we're certainly seeing a little bit of that now. Um, and uh, we've, we've had some banks that, you know, that have come back to us with, with interest rates and things like that that are obviously higher than even we were getting 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but even in our strategy, I guess from a competitive standpoint, we've kind of pushed them to stretch terms out longer, to, to go fixed for seven years, yeah. uh, you know, and in some cases we were even able to secure things at ten. Okay. Um, so just just to kind of hedge some of our risk and, uh, uh, and and help us forecast better, so that we could plan ourselves better and and keep consistent P and Ls. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, and that makes sense. And I've seen some lenders out there offering fifteen-year uh, fixed loans to, for the entire term, no balloon. And I think. You know, having gone through a couple downturns in my career, uh, yeah, I've seen where those balloons at the wrong time can, can wreak havoc uh, on an investor. So uh, if you can get a, a long-term loan, I think it's a good idea right now. Well, Nancy, what about investors who maybe they, they own some of these single-tenant net lease properties? Mm -hmm. They've seen the cap rate compression. They've had a nice investment. Maybe they're getting down from now it's not a 15 or a 10-year mm -hmm. uh, lease anymore. Maybe it's six or seven years. Mm -hmm. They're looking at interest rates um, and kind of look at, hey, if I'm going to sell in the next four or five years, if interest rates are going to rise, is it a time for them to consider selling some of the property? 
It, it absolutely is. An investor today, uh, I could say this probably with 95% uh, accuracy, their property is going to be worth probably uh, at or more than what they purchased it at in the past just because of cap rate compression. Mm -hmm. So the question is, mostly that we get is, what can I replace it with and can I replace it with comparable cash flow? That becomes the difficult time. Though I, I often recommend that an investor who has a long-term lease look at year uh, 10, 8 to 10 to consider when they want to sell. Don't wait to four or five years because then there's the risk to the purchaser of whether will they renew the option or not. So the, the optimal time to uh, consider selling is in an eight to ten year uh, remaining lease term period, I think. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think another question that uh, viewers may have today is about agglomeration, about stores that compete with your store coming into your market. So if I own some properties and all of a sudden there's, there's competing tenants uh, building and, and moving in the area, is, is that tough? Or if I'm an operator, do I want to be in a market where there's a lot of competitors and a lot of people coming to, to maybe eat and pick a restaurant when they get there? I, you know, to answer that, it, it really, it, it's a mixed bag. And, you know, the reality of, of our industry especially is, is that there, there are no more meals to be served. Whether it's, it's us or even casual, you know, casual dining or even more formal dining at, at every level from, from the QSR industry all the way up to linen napkin sit down, there really are no more meals to be served. If you build a new restaurant, there's not new guests that, that don't have access to you. Someone is probably already doing it. and, and what we or anybody else is doing when they open a new restaurant is you're taking someone else's else's guest mm -hmm. and so really the reality of it is and we talked about this beforehand it's you're only as good as your last meal served mm -hmm. and and having operators uh, and understanding that every day and, th and that's the reality for for everyone across the board now that being said there are some areas where when you have more things come in it creates synergy mm -hmm. because it just naturally draws people in uh, but then, you know, your obligation is is that how well do you honor that trust factor with the guests that are coming there off of that synergy? And do every time that they come to you, is the, is the experience consistently good? Do they know what they're going to get? And, you know, do you, do you maintain and honor that relationship? Um, and also look for new creative ways to get them there because there are a lot of distractions, uh, both electronically uh, as well as other things that are attracting people there. And so... It, it can, um, but there also is the obligation that once you're there to, to make sure that you're firing in all cylinders so that they keep coming back. Right. So you're not as concerned uh, as some might think when competitors are there. Or you're opening in a market and there's three or four other potential competitors coming because a lot of people will show up. And I like how you keyed in on the customer experience. Uh, you know, I've been to a couple stores, not Zaxby's, <laughs> but uh, other uh, businesses in my market. And I, I like the product, uh, national product that they do, but the service in these particular stores is terrible. So I think if you're an investor or an operator, uh, you want to think about that. If you go to the store and, and the operator there is just terrible, uh, terrible service, you might think, well, what's going to happen when this lease comes up? So uh, I guess that's a big part of getting the right people in and the good service. It, it, it's a huge part, and as, as simplistic as it sounds, there, there, there are operators out there that work for great brands, um, 
but you know they spend most of their time managing from a laptop. Yeah. Uh, and and especially in our industry, I don't know that that there, there are a lot of things that you can do to probably make a balance sheet or a PL look okay. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, there's so many brands that are hot right mm -hmm. now that two years from now you're saying, gosh, what really happened to them? Uh, and from my experience, a lot of those guys are managing from a laptop and they don't have a connection with their guests. They don't have a connection with the, the people that, that they're employing. And, and it makes a difference. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're on the operator side or, or the investor side, you need to pay attention to that. And, uh, and certainly on the investor side, if you're looking to, to, to buy something out, it may be worth if you have the ability to go and actually hang out there a few times and yeah. see what it looks like. Because, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, believe me, there's a lot of things, uh, and we do that even, you know, from, from our own internal cultural standpoint. Uh, we try not to spend a lot of time in the office and, and sometimes go and hang out in our own stores because you learn a lot. Yeah, and, uh, yeah that's a good point. Uh, I, I worked at a restaurant when I was in high school in Buckhead, Atlanta, and I realized when management wasn't there, quality went down. And I think sure. another thing that's very interesting to the audience is how can you get better returns on your single tenant and at least properties? We're going to talk about that when we get back. And, and also, since we have an operator here, we have a broker, let's find out how some inside tips to figure out, hey, might this tenant renew? What is the risk here in buying this property? So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. With ArborCrowd, you get to invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit ArborCrowd.com. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com. Are you a commercial real estate broker? Check out Apto, the leading web-based CRE software for managing contacts, properties, listings, and deals. Act on the information in your CRM to strengthen your relationships and grow your business. Visit Apto.com slash CRE show. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment is brought to you by GetValuate.com, online investment analysis that you should check out. Today we're talking about single-tenant net lease investment properties. My guests are Fred Weir, he's president of Meadowbrook Restaurant Company, and Nancy Miller, president of the National Net Lease Investment Group with Bull Realty. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about some ways to understand if you're getting good value. And I think a lot of investors, when they're looking at single-tenant net lease properties, they're wondering, well, what tenants are safe? What's, what's a great tenant? So what are you seeing out there as a hot tenant that investors uh, like investing in these days? Well, uh, there are uh, several uh, sectors we noticed just recently, and I have a couple notes just because I hoped you ask, would ask me that question. <laughs> but the, the dominant sector uh, that most transactions are occurring in are what we call QSR, quick service restaurant sector. 17% of the transactions uh, that we followed last year were QSRs, uh, and it would be a Wendy's, it would be a Burger King, uh, a Bojangles, a Zaxby's is kind of a hybrid, by the way, between those because it's 
of its nature. Uh, dollar stores were the top uh, volume-wise uh, in terms of how many new units were built uh, between the dollar generals, family dollars, dollar trees. Uh, they were only 10% of the gross volume. Uh, casual dining, which would be uh, your Applebee's, your Chili's, and so forth, your Outbacks, well, a little bit higher, and, and sort of your Zaxby's were about 6.5%. Uh, uh, drug stores, Rite Aid, CVS, Walgreens were about 6% of volume. Um, Auto-related going down, 4%. Mm. Um, one of the interesting things I wrote is one particular tenant, Starbucks. Uh, they were 3% of the total, but what I was shocked with is Starbucks in 2017 opened 45 new units. In 2016, they opened 26 new units. They've almost doubled the unit numbers that they've opened in the sample that we did. I'm sure they've opened more than that, but Starbucks is the big, big um, one in terms of for their units, their unit growth. Yeah, I think we've all doubled our intake of coffee. See how fast we're talking these days? <laughs> <laughs> we're all drinking more coffee, I think. So uh -huh. let's talk about some ways to uh -huh. maybe increase returns uh, for investors. Uh, for example, I mean, most single tenant net lease properties uh, are triple net. And the, the uh, tenants take care of the operating expenses and the taxes insurance, but mm -hmm. some of these leases are double net now, right? Mm -hmm. Can an investor mm -hmm. maybe get a little more return for that mm -hmm. additional work or risk? Absolutely. Uh, a, an investor who wants to improve their leverage or return, or I mean their yield or return, um, a double net, if they want to take on a little more responsibility, roof and structure maybe, parking lot, they may get uh, a half a percent or 50 basis points higher of a cap rate or even more. And if uh, they also want to take a shorter lease term because they say, this is great real estate. I don't mind being here even with a shorter lease and a double net because, wow, it's main and main and I can do something with this if, if for chance that tenant does not renew sometime in the future. Now, and I see real, very experienced real estate people that will look at that sometimes, but what about the more casual investor who maybe doesn't do commercial real estate investing for a living, mm -hmm. and he's looking at a tenant that has seven years or four mm -hmm. years? Mm -hmm. What are some ways that that, that investor could kind of come in and, and look at, hey, might this is this tenant doing well? You know, so, so some tenants you can get sales numbers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But not a lot of these single tenant? You mostly can get sales numbers on franchises more often mm -hmm. than corporate tenants. Mm -hmm. uh, the national credit tenants don't like to dis discuss or divulge. Uh, but if you get the sales information, that's great. And uh, that's one of the measures to say, is this a safe buy? As, as we were talking about earlier, go in the parking lot, mm -hmm. sit there for so, uh, some time and watch what's going on and seeing the traffic. Is it easy to get access in and out of that location? How is the signage? Is it sitting low to the ground or is it a nice big sign? Can you see it from somewhere? Are the traffic counts high enough? Again, it amounts to if, if the uh, even if that tenant is mismanaged uh, or, or not operated well, if the other uh, factors or the other particulars are good, you know, an investor who has a little bit of stomach for it is going to do fine with that property. And Fred, if you were invested in a single tenant net lease deal with your experience as an operator, what would be some other ways that an investor might kind of get an idea if that 
operators doing well and might renew. Uh, much to what Nancy said, it, you know, you can look at a lot. There's so much data out there for you now. I mean, you can can buy so much data and metrics that, again, you have all these numbers on a laptop that may give you uh, one picture. Mm -hmm. And we we still, even when we're determining that, uh, and when we've looked at even buying other people out, we're very old school. Or if we're going into a new area, we go and hang out. Uh, just because there's a lot sometimes in reality, much to that same thing, we'll go and if it's a restaurant, we'll sit in other restaurants. And you'll be amazed just, you know, talking to a, a server or the cashier that's waiting on, on you and, and just sitting in the dining room, what, what you can find out. And they'll always be very candid, they'll be very honest with you. And, uh, you know, about, you know, say, well, how, are your lunches usually like this? And, yeah, it's just, you know, ever since they've been planning road construction or, oh, they're planning road construction or whatever, you'd be amazed uh, uh, what, what people will tell you, um, even from just the caliber of, of help that's available in that area. Um, and, uh, two, again, just the traffic and then just doing some things. You know, things can look one way when you're looking at a plat or a map or or even Google Earth, but it's another thing when in the middle of lunch you're trying to make a left-hand turn and there's there's only a stop sign and, uh, you know, we, we personally have passed on a couple sites just because my wife was in the car and she made the comment, she's like, there's no way I'd ever go to that restaurant. She says, there's, I wouldn't want to make that left turn. Mm -hmm. And things that, that are just that simple and maybe not a big deal to me, but to other people that are going to be our core guests yeah. that, again, you're never going to see on a chart, you're never going to see on, on some kind of graphic that just in real life. Yeah, well I'm, um, I'm glad to hear you say that uh, research and going and hanging out in these places is good because when my wife gets mad at me for drinking in a bar, I'm going to say it's research, darn, darn it. Yeah, exactly. Honey, I, That's right. <laughs> I had to check out the market area. <laughs> had to stay for the se I had to stay for the second drink. The first drink was research. The second drink was I was learning so much. That yeah. So what is changing now, you know, with the, with the Internet and, and so much competition? So many restaurants seem to be opening everywhere. It seems like retail has changed to, to more of experience. There's more restaurant. Um, what do you see as the operator side that you're having to do differently in, in kind of growing into these days? Well, you know, I think we, having a relationship with our guests is key. And the, the chains that really get that and get that sincerely, because there are a lot of them out there that may throw a bunch of stuff, but there's no sincerity to it. But the, the, but the brands and the operators who, who truly understand that from a sincere standpoint, we're constantly trying to uh, stay tangibly connected with our guests because that in, in there's so many new brands and there's so much distraction and how are you staying connected with them uh, certainly social media okay. uh, and and doing things where we can as well as different promotions and things we can do where we have the opportunity to interact with our guests either electronically or you know touching them through the store um, and we've we've even done some some innovative things with some of our younger uh, guests where we've created three-month ambassador programs where we say, hey, if you retweet these things for us or if you, you know, share things on Facebook or Instagram, uh, we have little cards for them where they're, they're a Zaxby's ambassador and, and it, it gives them one free meal a week and, and again, yeah. but, it, but we were able to get messages out uh, as well as build kind of a cadre of, um, of, of having relationships with guests because certainly when they're doing that, we're keeping them connected and they have a vested interest 
because they, you know, kind of get hooked up with free food and some mm -hmm. other discounts. That's great. Um, How about the Uber impact? What are you seeing there? I think that that, that is, is certainly something that is, I think we're kind of on the cusp. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, that that's only going to grow. Uh, there, there are a lot of players that are moving into it. Um, certainly, it, it's not pervasive yet where they're in every market and everything. They're in major cities. Uh, with Uber, Uber specifically, and, and it's starting to change with some competitors and I think with their own realities, um, they signed, uh, Uber right now wants about 30% of your sales. Mm -hmm. And they, they strongly discourage or, or do not allow you to raise your menu prices to account for that. And so with a, any franchise brand, you know, your food and labor costs is going to probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60%. Well, if you're suddenly, you know, chopping off by the time you pay royalties and advertising and then paying 30%, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's, it's a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. uh, but as more players get in and, and, and the people providing that service become more efficient at doing that, uh, you're going to see that number go down. And, and I think that that becomes a, a more significant opportunity because certainly a lot, a lot of guests uh, and, and guest trends are moving that way. People aren't necessarily dining in as much. No. We're already seeing a huge uptick in just drive-through uh, stores that offer delivery, uh, in delivery and things like that. And so I think it's a natural progression of the market and, and everyone has to be aware of it. Yeah, I mean, if I can eat without getting off my couch, I'm good to go and watch the football game. I don't want to get up. <laughs> I just want to get on my phone, have it delivered, right? Well, and, and you know, the ease of that, there, there's certainly, you know, a lot to be said for that. I mean, you see that across the board in retail trends. I mean, mall traffic is significantly down. You know, Amazon's the 800-pound gorilla that even bigger uh, retail tenants uh, have, to, have to compete against and, and measure their numbers against. And, and to that accord, I think all of our guests, the same guests that are shopping on Amazon and seeing the convenience of that, aren't necessarily going out to eat as much anymore. They're, they're wanting to stay at home and drop a movie on Netflix or Prime or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, they may not even have cable uh, in a lot of cases, and they're solely watching their, their whatever entertainment they are off of digital. And when they do that, they're wanting things brought to them. Uh, the, you know, there's certainly a, a trend in the way our younger guests are, are eating, and, and we're having to be aware of that as well. What percentage of your costs are for payroll, typically? They're, they're going up. Uh, by the time we include management now, you're, you're depending on the market, anywhere from 25 to 30 percent all in with everything that we actually have to pay out. And that and, and what do you think about the standard. kiosk ordering, people coming in and ordered either online at home and coming in and picking it up or, or online in, in the store with a kiosk? You know, it's funny you mention that. It, it actually, and I had an IT guy with another brand kind of rhetorically ask me that, and, and I think that it, it almost is in some ways an anachronistic technology. Mm -hmm. And the way that he described it to me was he said, he says, you obviously know everything about Netflix and Amazon. He said, if, if Netflix and Amazon wasn't out, but, but you knew it was coming, but, but you have the understanding and knowledge that you do today with it being out. And if I told you, hey, I'll sell you a VCR, but you gotta have one for each TV. The VCRs are 5,000 bucks a piece. Uh, and you have to, have to have at least five to order efficiently. So you're, you're, you're talking about a $25,000 investment. There's some wiring costs all in. You're gonna have $30,000 for VCRs. Knowing what you know about Amazon and Netflix, would you do it? I'm like, heck no. And, and he then pulled out his cell phone and he said that the technology is, for, for our industry is right on the cusp 
where people will be able to order on their phone and rather than say, yeah, I wanted it 12.15, but then all of a sudden they get stuck on a conference call and, and one of the realities is, is they don't show up until 12.45 or what happens? The operator either has to remake their food or their food's cold. Yeah. But the technology with this, will it will let the store know just through geotagging the minute they show up onto the parking lot nice. mm. that mm. that guest is wow. there. Yeah. It will then automatically let, let you know whether they open the door to come in to your restaurant that, hey, that guest is it at register one, or they're the third car in line in your drive-through. Everything's going to probably automatically be done, just taken out, almost like an Apple Pay type thing. Uh, we'll know exactly just based on that geotagging and from their phone. Uh, and, and the way he described that to me is he said that the technology in the industry, he said, is, is really almost there and that within two years, he says the kiosks are already obsolete in a dinosaur and you're mm -hmm. going to see everything be uh, across the board and that that's the way uh, that, that, that ordering and, and, and certainly it will take off a lot of the pressure for labor that, that our entire industry has seen because obviously you can operate more efficiently. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that people are going to lose jobs or jobs are going to be replaced because everyone is, is struggling for that same pool of people right now. Yeah. And so it will allow the industry as a whole to more efficiently use the people that are available what are, to begin with. What, what do you think and what do people in your, your field think about minimum wage increases? You know, it seems like you know, having been able to start in some of these fast food places as a kid to get a kind of learning how to have a job and how to deal with a boss and being responsible. Uh, but if we keep raising those rates uh, that you have to pay those people and then we go to, to phones and technology and these jobs, how do you guys feel about that, raising rates? Well, we could, uh, if, if maybe we need to do a, a six hour show nonstop <laughs> just on that whole subject. Um, and and act, in, in all seriousness, they're, they're really, they're, they're a, are, are two issues with that in, in our industry overall. Uh, certainly any operator that's out there that's, that's doing it right, if, if you said, well, how many people do you have at minimum wage, they'd chuckle right away, because the reality is, even with, with, with our younger people and our teenagers, you, you cannot pay minimum wage today. It, it, it's mm -hmm. a fallacy that the government's doing for, for alternative motives that have nothing to do with, with the retail sector or, or minimum wage in and of its sense. Um, you know, that being said, just the available pool of labor, there, there are several things that, that have, I think, got us to where we are. And especially you mentioned, like, the, the teenager that gets the job. A lot of them aren't working anymore. Uh, and, and the reality is it's not so much that teenagers have become lazier or they don't want to work, but their, their parents don't want them working, uh, mainly because they want them to look perfect on paper for college. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the reality is, is, is that these same kids are getting away to college and then, you know, the reality of multitasking and everything in life. And uh, I, I sit on the board of trustees for a university and can certainly speak on, on the opposite side of this because you're seeing the reality of that, that college dropout rates have, have gone up significantly mm -hmm. across the board, regardless of whether it's an Ivy League school or, you know, a, a, a public you know, two-year tech school, uh, that the rates are very consistent and what they're finding, that the rates of kids that are having to be medicated for anxiety uh, has increased and, and I think that there's a correlation because kids uh, are not getting out and working and, and it's not that, that they need that job for money and everything like that, but sometimes that job serves as a midwife to start really preparing them for their collegiate career yeah. and, and, and their business career and, and that's not happening just due to a, a, a 
just an evolution and, 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 a, and a perception of what, what people need to do to be successful. Yeah, yeah, I um, think that it's good for them. I mean, when I was in high school, I was a night manager of a steakhouse. And uh, I handled employees, and I handled the, the, the numbers and the deposit. And I think it was good leadership for me to, to uh, have done that, and I think it's something we need. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to wrap this up with some great information from my guest. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Build out the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull, like a deer caught in the headlights is what I was a minute ago when I was looking at the monitor. But this segment is brought to you by buildout.com. If you're a commercial real estate broker, definitely check out buildout.com. Today we're talking about single tenant net lease investment properties. I have Fred Weir with me and I have Nancy Miller with me. And uh, you know, one of the things that every investor has to deal with and an operator is, is financing. And, uh, you know, I think in the single tenant net lease world, you can still get positive leverage, right? You still get a high, in most cases, get a higher cap rate than the interest rate. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk briefly about um, down payments uh, and loan to value ratios. So if I'm dealing, if I'm buying a corporate store uh, or if I'm buying a franchisee store, what's the difference in the lending that I should know about when I get started? Uh, you're going to uh, see generally across the board about a 65% uh, loan to value to a 60 or 65%. So you have to be prepared to put 35 or 40% down on both. Okay. Um, interest rates may be a slightly bit higher for a franchisee, uh, maybe 10 to 20 basis points or not. And it's ultimately then going to be um, a factor of how strong the financials are of the investor. Um, also, the financials and the experience of the franchise that they're buying that location. Does that franchisee have uh, one other location or do they have 20 other locations? And you have to get the lender comfortable to make sure that they will go forward with it. And those two factors or three factors are the key pieces. Yeah, something to be aware of. And uh, one of the things that we run into as is, is brokers is the, that one lender talks to a buyer and tells them something that, hey, that's not a good deal or that we're, no one's doing loans on those. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that's that one lender, right? What's mm -hmm. your experience there, Fred? Uh, it, it definitely is. And, and when we usually hear something to that where we, we see value, 
uh, and everyone else sees value, but the bank comes back and says, well, we really don't see value. Uh, kind of what we're really hearing is, is that that bank just doesn't have an appetite either for restaurants or retail at that time. And it, it really requires us uh, to be proactive. And we've learned over time that when a deal comes up, uh, it, it's not like when you're in school and the, and the pr professor assigns the term paper, you, you know, then you start on all the work. It's like we almost have to keep a little bit of work ahead of time mm -hmm. and anticipate things. And mm -hmm. we're constantly meeting with banks and even some of the banks that we have relationships with. Their, their appetite changes, yeah. and, and so it's, it's constantly maintaining relationships and, and having understandings of what we need and, and what they're willing to do, and then when opportunities present itself, kind of fitting the right puzzle piece in and saying, okay, well, this, this is the right bank for that because... And the right time. The right time, because yeah. they can go out of state, yeah. um, and they don't have any restrictions against that. Uh, the, the rates and the terms are what we are, and, and they're, they're already familiar with you know our financial history and things like that so when when we're kind of going to bat especially under a time crunch mm -hmm. uh, what what we're doing is really negotiating just on, on a few finite details yeah. and there's already a, a, a mutual understanding yeah. of, of where we need to go and what they're willing to do that's great so have multiple options if you're a 1031 buyer or buying any type of commercial real estate single tenant net lease and I mentioned 1031 that was saved by the tax act that didn't go away uh, 1031s are huge in the single-tenant net lease mm -hmm. investment world. So, Nancy, it seems like a lot of investors, when they get into that that uh, situation where their um, property they're selling is under contract, uh, and and sometimes they have to wait till it closes to start looking. What are some tips for 1031 investors? Well, uh, uh, following up on what Fred just said a moment ago, uh, prepare number one to uh, have your financial paperwork together, prepare so that you've identified potential lenders because you think one may be the one and it winds up that they don't like that property type or they don't like this or that. That's one thing to do. The other thing to do is to start looking early on and not being afraid of making offers. Um, I'm working with a 1031 buyer right now who closed a week ago or two weeks ago on, on their large transaction, and we've been looking for them for about two months. Okay, so don't wait until your relinquished property is under contract. No. Maybe start when you put the relinquished property on the market. That'd be well, probably a good timetable. Uh, no. No, that's no, too late? No. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, if, I, if I understand you correctly, um, well, I'll say it in a different way. If I'm making an offer uh, for your property, you're going to say to me, um, has your uh, 1031 buyer sold his other property? Yeah, I ask it every time. And you ask it every time. <laughs> and I, if I say, no, he's just put it on the market, they say, see ya. But if I say uh, n he has not sold it yet, but the earnest money is non-refundable, mm -hmm. and he closes in two weeks, mm -hmm. now my credibility right. is higher. But I guess you could start understanding the market, get a relationship with a broker, Start to understand the market when you put your relinquished property you're selling on the market. So, so start early. Yeah. Um, also, you want to have proof of ability to close ready to go? Absolutely. How important is that when you have, you're getting multiple offers on a lot of these properties, aren't you? Absolutely. And we have a whole checklist of questions that we mm -hmm. ask about the experience of the buyer. Where is the cash down payment coming from if mm -hmm. they're financing and so forth? And uh, you know, do they have a lender lined up? What's the experience? 
Um, sometimes some of these investors uh, who have a lot of property, they haven't bought in years, so many of the things that we tell them, and on the reverse side, we say, if you are buying, make offers early because the demand for your property, don't be afraid um, on the reverse side to, to get an LOI in and get control of the property. So both sides, it's, it's, the brokers today are very aggressive at making sure someone, what we say, can go cross the finish line. Yeah, well, it makes sense, and uh, you want to be ready. Another way to be ready, so especially if you're doing a 1031 exchange, is also have your offer format ready to go, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of coming, hey, you find the right property, mm -hmm. and then you're talking to your broker, well, who's right? Are we doing an LOI? Are we doing a purchase and sale agreement? Hey, who's doing it? Mm -hmm. right, you want to have that agreed to up front, Absolutely. right? So you can move on these things. Absolutely. But some of these things just move rapidly. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, here today, gone tomorrow. I, I had a situation over the weekend. Something we lost something by. Uh, it was uh, we made an offer at 7.1 percent cap rate, and it, they took it as 7.15 percent cap rate. And buyers were all equal. And the difference is that that other buyer they had done a deal with them recently, so they knew the buyer could go to the finish line. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know. well, I'll give you one other tip that I found that can interestingly be helpful, and that is a large earnest money check. I've mm -hmm. really seen sellers that, oh, they're putting down a million dollars earnest money and everybody else is putting down, you know, $25,000, mm -hmm. and, and the million, the big earnest money check could come from a buyer who's not made the highest offer sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's pretty mm -hmm. amazing. So if you have a safe contract, you have a safe mm -hmm. escrow, mm -hmm. uh, that's another way to do it. Well, what would you leave our audience as a closing thought, Fred, about the single tenant net lease world or the um, as an operator or investor or, or developer? You know, I think, I think the market is changing for, for operators. Certainly there's more competition. I think how we reach our guests is changing. Um, I know for us and a lot of other brands, the needs for property has actually shrunk a little bit because we're making smaller buildings that have more access to, to drive-through or things like uh, online delivery or, or things like Uber Eats and so I think long term for so us. maybe a smaller square footage building? Smaller square site. footage building, less less property just yeah. to kind of get our costs and keep our margins in line. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as just the, I think the need for operators to really you know focus on maintaining relationships with guests and focusing on making sure that they're only as good as the last meal served. Uh, regardless of how great your product tastes or whatever, uh, you're really only as good as that last meal served, and 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 that's, it, it's huge for long-term success. Because from an investor standpoint, and what we're doing, you're not in it for a year. Uh, you, you're in it for oftentimes 20 years, sometimes longer, and you, you have to take that longer-term picture mm -hmm. in in an area where there's the shifting sands are are great. Yeah, there's a an area. Uh, that I went to recently where there's a bunch of restaurants in development that opened up and I was asking a local there about all these restaurants and how they're going to make it, how are they doing. And, and when I asked him about a couple of them, he said when he started talking about his experience, it was really the service. It was do, do people care about what they're serving you and how they're serving you and he decided which ones he's trying out and which ones he'll go to again. That's, so that's a great tip. Nancy, what about the investors, the owners of the properties or um, investors? I have one that it, it's a little bit of a niche, but it's killer. Uh, there is a right of first refusal uh, in a lot of the uh, contracts for the tenant if they are a franchisee to buy the property. I have had two 
in the last week and a half that has exercised the first right of refusal. Interesting. At, this is the first time it's ever happened. And we were totally shocked by it, as was the seller. <clears throat> and so I think the sellers have to do a better job of vetting earlier on. And I think that I have to do a really good job of vetting it with the broker if it's not my listing. Yeah. Uh, because we, we just lost uh, several million dollars of real estate uh, we have to go find those. It's yeah. a good problem, but nonetheless, yeah. it's a hard problem. So uh, they're starting to buy their own properties. Yeah, well, that's a good tip. Some of these tenants do have first right to refusal to buy the properties, and the contracts and offers uh, should cover that and have a contingency for it so everyone's aware of it and what happens if they mm -hmm. do. Well, great information, Fred. Nancy, thank thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for joining us out there on radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, the show website. Uh, we appreciate your comments and your shares. Thank you for being with us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd, invest alongside real estate experts. Get Valuate, online investment analysis. Real Crowd, crowdfunding with the professionals. By Apto, brokerage software to manage your contacts, properties, listings, and deals. CommercialAgentSuccess.com, better serve clients, earn more commissions. Build Out, marketing for your brokerage. For more information on these great companies, visit CREshow.com. And you're invited to subscribe to the show on YouTube and iTunes and connect with us on your favorite social media.